Welcome to the Big Ideas for Small Business podcast. Join us as our host and fellow small business owner, Tim Hayden, discusses topics beneficial to businesses of all industries. Hello, everyone. Welcome to Big Ideas for Small Business. Uh, as we did last month, I'm normally the host, Tim Hayden, but I'm handing over the um, uh, guest host to, to my good friend from the table group, uh, Gordon Blocker. Gordon, jump right in, my friend. All right. Thanks, Tim. Two of five since we're covering Pat's book, The Motive. So thanks for letting me jump in and uh, hopefully disrupt in a healthy way. I think the reality is, is that you know, Pat just has really simple ideas, simple questions that provoke really smart leaders. And I get the privilege of talking to those leaders and watching them try to apply some of the simplest stuff, but simple can also be hard. So Pat just identified in his experience things that leaders typically avoid because they don't want the extra responsibility. And, and, the, and back to the real principle of the motive, it's responsibility-based leadership versus privilege-based because people get to places of leadership because they've worked their butt off and they're thinking, hey, this is where I get to do what I want to do, uh, relax a little bit, um, have more discretionary time versus, holy smokes, I'm taking on the hardest job in the whole organization. So the first one we talked about last week is the challenge to build teams. It's, it's one thing to say, I have a team or I have people report to me. Am I really building a team? And this week, it's to manage people and to expect your people to manage their people. Now, Tim, this, this, I was laughing at this because you and I have had like a year-long debate on the difference between leading and managing, and we get pretty fixated on those are two different things. So we're going to maybe talk out of both sides of our mouth a little bit today, but just real quick, as you reflect on leading versus managing, what, what are some things that you took away from our conversations in 2022? Gordon, that's a very difficult question for me. We had so much conversation. Um, it, honestly, it's a little overwhelming <laughs> because yeah. I, we had a lot of deep conversation. But I think uh, to, to summarize, I think, you know, leading is when we set direction mm-hmm. of the company, or, you know, if you're the senior leader and right. then getting out of the way and letting the team perform again, connecting to them to where they're, they're, they're getting it done versus managing right. is that you're in it with them. And you're not right. only, you're not, you're not only setting direction, you, you actually are helping to implement it. So I think, I mean, to me, those are two very different things. So please, yeah, please right. chime in. Well, you know, we're going to do some uh, Clemson uh, uh, case studies today and we just stick with the football theme. It's funny. They call it clock management. They don't call it clock leadership because I think the difference is when it comes to managing a game clock, you already know the rules, you know, the situations. I mean, heck, we got so many computers trying to figure out when to call the the timeouts and not call the timeouts and when to run the, you know, two, two point conversion. And I'm laughing because in this last week, the Cowboys, my, my hometown team lost to the 49ers and they had three timeouts with about two and a half minutes left. Niners had the ball. And it was two minutes and seven seconds left in the game. And they didn't call a timeout because they didn't. And then because of that, they didn't leverage the two minute warning. So instead of getting the timeout and be able to leverage the two minute warning as well. And the commentator was going crazy. Like, how did you not know this? Like everyone else is expecting you to call a timeout and you didn't because I think in management, we're just executing against what we already know is the strategy. Okay. Leadership is when we're determining that strategy. 
And I think that's what happens with leaders. We become leaders and we think, hey, I'm just going to spend 40 hours a week on strategy. I don't have to help my team execute on that strategy. And that's a big mess. So we come to meetings and we have clearly defined strategies and a lot of leaders want to get back up in the clouds and we like to reinvent and we like to pick at things instead of saying, hey, did we get done what we said we're going to do? A, a tool that you're now using after every offsite is to document what did we decide? Who's ultimately responsible for that? And when's it going to get done? Now, some people would say, Tim, like, why would you need to document that? But when you don't document that kind of stuff, what happens to you and your team as leaders? Yeah, yeah, the whirlwind of business grabs hold and you don't get things done that you said you were going to get done. And and Gordon, I'm raising my hand as I'm talking to you. It's so easy. And we are the world's worst that we, we come off an offsite. We're excited. We make these decisions. Man, we go back to status quo too fast. Yeah, that's right. And and I think this tool that, you know, uh, let's give some plug to, you know, to one of our uh, admins, Lee. You know, mm -hmm. Lee, Lee developed a simple tool, you know, yeah. with our decisions on who owns it, when's it due. Um, and right. it's, it's a real simple, it's a real simple tool that we, that we follow up with because yeah. there's, um, there's to, to me, there's power and there's, there's memories. We talked about it uh, last, you know, in our last podcast, Gordon, you know, we have moments that we remember. Mm -hmm. We had one of our, you know, one of our uh, leadership team guys that we had a moment in our Greenville offsite, um, mm -hmm. You know, when was that, Gordon? April 2022. About a year ago. You know, and with that, we remember those moments. But if we don't document these things, you know, the whirlwind of life and business is going to grab hold. So to me, I think that, you know, it is important to write it down and have a place where whoever's making the decisions, whoever's responsible for them can follow up to make sure that happens. That's right. So it's interesting. Let's say you didn't have the list. Let's say you didn't bring it up. You'll send a message to your team either, hey, I'm expecting you just to take care of it, um, or you're sending a message you don't care because you're not following up. If you say, hey, Gordon, will you do these five things for me, and you never follow up and ask if I did them, I'm like, well, Tim's not going to ask, so I'm just not going to do it. And what's interesting is we use a lot of negative terms that are not by themselves negative. Like we'll use micromanagement. You never hear about macromanagement. You just hear, hey, don't micromanage me. I don't like to micromanage. I don't like to be micromanaged. I don't like to babysit. You know, we hear these terms because I think probably leaders are a bit self-conscious on the responsibility to manage. So we almost just, you know, put all these negative connotations on management on both directions. I think I hear a lot of executives say, hey, I don't like to be managed. I don't need to be managed. I'm a self-starter, right? But do the people on your team, you know, I'm thinking about the specific people on your roster, do they need to be managed? Yes. And what will happen, even with all their talent, with all their intelligence, with all their character, what happens when they are not managed? Things fall apart. Things don't get done. Um, mm -hmm. You know, I think that um, for a long time in my career, I thought, you know, I want self-managed, self-motivated people. Mm -hmm. What I've learned going through organizational health is I actually I don't. I want a people. I want a, I want people that are part of a team that is going to hold each other. That's going to hold the team accountable. That if we if if Tim owns this decision, mm -hmm. by golly, we've got to have that decision done by this date and and get and get updates on where that is. If not, you know, 
we we waste an awful lot of time and money in, in the decisions we made and not and they're not getting done. Yeah, that's right. So uh, you know, you've you've been essentially, you know, in leadership from the beginning because you're in a family business. Mm-hmm. And sometimes we just pass on what we've learned. You've told me some stories about your training, you know, if you want to call it that, your coaching, those yeah. moments. Did you feel like pretty much you had to manage yourself, teach yourself, or did you feel like on the receiving end, someone really coached you and managed you? I felt like that I had to do it by myself. Yeah. And I mean, I mean, I think I had some direction, but I had nobody to give me, you know, I would get scolded when something didn't work out, but I didn't have someone coaching me along the way. Right. And, and until I started, you know, and we've been doing I've, I've had a coach in my life really since 2010. So that was a transition for me to start, you know, to start to start learning those processes. Mm-hmm. So I think a hard question to ask on the receiving end and on the sending end is this. Are we better because of our manager? Are the people we're managing better because of us? Mm-hmm. Right. Uh, and uh, sorry for the for the rival uh, re- uh, reference, but you know, Clemson's biggest rival, right, is Alabama. And you can say, Hey, I don't, I'm not fond of Nick Saban because I want to beat the team, like kind of how he comes across. But I've lost count as to how many current head coaches used to be a head coach under Saban. Mm-hmm. What do you think it's like under Saban? Do you think he's proactively teaching these coaches to be great coaches and potential? Uh, competitors against him, or do you think they just pick it up by watching him? I think they're. Te- I think he's teaching them. I think. I mean, and I may. That's a that's a hard question for me, yeah. because if you look, he has a tremendous amount of turnover in his staff. Yeah. So um, interesting. They don't want tremendous. I mean, and even even I think he came out this week, Gordon, that their offensive coordinator who used to coach in the NFL is now yeah. going back. Bill, I can't remember his last name. Yeah. Uh, but but he's leaving, and I think he was there two years. Yeah. So I think he I think he runs an incredibly from the outside looking in, he runs an incredibly disciplined program. Mm-hmm. I would think he I would think he micromanages those guys, me yeah. knowing the detail that he puts in, and he's one at the highest level. You know, so. Or maybe he just has high expectations. They feel a ton of pressure. They watch him, and then they're like, "Hey, I can't wait to get out of here." And go coach my own team and create my own culture. Yeah. So I've got I've got Dabo Sweeney's website up. He's got DaboSweeney.com, by the way. And he's got on that page his whole staff. It's not everybody because uh, there's a huge picture, by the way, of like the entire staff, which looks like more than 78 people. I counted 78 people uh, with an actual profile. But we've got, um, you know, Tyler Grish- Grissom. Is that Grish- Tyler Grisham's wide receiver yeah. coach. And yeah, hey, Gordon, I want to qualify yeah. Yeah. Um, so, so my daughter, who recently graduated from Clemson, she would agree with you that Clemson's biggest rival is Alabama. But okay. for people that are a little bit older, uh, you know, if you're a Clemson fan that is, is, is listening to the podcast, and we're glad yeah. you listen today, um, our biggest rival is South Carolina. Oh, okay. So from my yeah. seat, but no, but you're right. But I mean, we have, you know, we played in four national championships, uh, three of them against Alabama. Yeah, uh, and recently, so you're right. I mean, you know, we played Alabama every year. It seemed like for like five or six years. So right, and you know, you don't have to watch college football very much to realize there is a lot of turnover and changes because everyone's trying to take a new position, get a better job, right? 
Um, I'm looking at everything on the offense. Offensive coaches are C.J. Spiller, Kyle Richardson, Thomas Austin. I guess he doesn't have an offensive coordinator because he's the offensive coordinator at the same time. No, so so let, uh, let me give our listeners a little bit of background yeah. here. Is you know for almost ten years, Clemson had no turnover uh-huh. in their coaching t- in the coaching staff. Um, a year ago, Brent Venables, who is the best defensive coordinator in America, in my opinion, took the head coaching job at Oklahoma. Okay. Um, and Tony Elliott was our was the uh, he was our offensive coordinator for about he was on the staff and got promoted for probably four or five years. He okay. took the head coaching job at Virginia. Okay. So we had a new defense coordinator and a new offense coordinator in 2022. Well, our offensive coordinator coached one year, and he was a Clemson guy. He got fired about two weeks ago or three weeks ago. So Clemson went out and got the hottest assistant coach in America that just won the Broyles Award, and that is Garrett um, Riley, who was TCU's offensive coordinator, Who and that's your team. um, That's right. So that's why he's not on the website yet. Yeah, it's brand new. It just happened. So Clemson, when you go look at, at the offseason, Clemson will probably have made the best hire in the country yeah. and getting the hottest offensive coordinator in the country. That's why it's not on that website, but but it will be. And so, so there's been a little bit of change. There's a great example. So Dallas Sweeney's got, you know, not only a, a great hire, he's got a big name, right? And probably other people are expecting, you know, the other Riley's, the head coach USC. So yep. you, think, you think his younger brother's got some aspirations to be a head coach someday? Probably. Yes. Yep. And 10 years from now, he's going to look back on all these different, you know, he, he worked for Sonny Dykes at TCU and now he's Davos Winnie. He's going to look back. You know what he's going to say? Some of those head coaches I worked for made me better. And some of them, I made them better. Right? Some of them, I gave all my talent. I contributed, but I didn't get a step better. I just served my time and then I waited for the next opportunity. And that's the difference. I think leaders that manage make their people better. And during that tenure, they go up a level. But a lot of people in their career in certain jobs and situations, they're pretty flat. They bring in a lot, but they walk in on one day and say, hey, I started in the year 2020. And then I got a new position somewhere else in 2025. And between those two dates, I didn't actually get a lot better because no one coached me. No one challenged me. And you know what's intimidating, Tim, for for Dabo Sweeney? is, you know, the higher, the bigger the talent he hires, the better leader and manager he has to be. Because he's got to say, what can I teach this guy that he doesn't already know? How can I challenge him in a way he hasn't been already challenged? And that makes you have to be very proactive. Now, now to flip the coin here, in the motive, it says to manage your subordinates and expect them to manage their teams as well. So let's think particularly about Michael. Michael works for you. But Michael has a lot of people that work for him. Brad has a lot of people that work for him. What are your expectations in terms of how proactive they are to manage their people? It's very high that they manage their people. You know, like we spend a lot of time on a weekly basis and even a monthly basis. So we, you know, we we are bought into organizational health and all the processes. And, you know, we have daily connections, daily stand-up meetings with those okay. guys. And then, and you know what, we find out what's going on. We have weekly tacticals. But one thing we do, it's not even part of the motive. It's not even part of organizational health. We have one-on-one meetings. Okay. And that's once a month where we, we develop in Gordon. If, I, if I'm if i looking, I think you've got my goals behind you on that piano. I do. I do. So, yeah, I so, so um, and, I'm a, and I'm a goal setter. So, you know, that's the one time a month that we mm-hmm. press pause on, on whatever's going on and we work on, like, Michael as an example. 
So business goals, Michael, what do you want to get done this month? Um, and then personal goals, if he wants to share any. And that's mm -hmm. the time we work on him. I expect that process to be to be carried out through our supervisor level to where every manager is meeting yeah. with their direct reports. So I expect okay. us to manage our team very well. Okay, that's good. So let me go, let me, let me do a connection and then we'll do sort of like a real time thing where I'm trying to coach you as you coach your team for next week. And I'm going to leverage Pat's book called the truth about employee engagement, because I think this part of the motive maps over to that. And essentially he says, if you're going to coach someone really well, there's three things you got to do. Number one, you have to connect with them personally. Going back to the turnover at Alabama, we don't know, but people don't leave jobs they love with people they love working with. Mm -hmm. They don't do it often. Sometimes they will, and it's like really painful, like, oh my gosh, but I can't turn down this opportunity. And when they do that, the organization blesses them, sends them off, and they keep in touch. But typically they don't because it's important to make a personal connection, to build trust, to build relationships. Here's an interesting question that I have a CEO. She has one single question that she asks the people she manages to make sure she's connected. She said, when is your next vacation? I want to know when and where your next vacation is. And as soon as they get back from that vacation, she says, when is and where is your next vacation? She just has a single way to measure. If I know them well enough to help them make sure they're taking their time off and I'm interested enough to know where it is, it's just one single way. Imagine if you ask Michael, Hey, name the people on your team that goes through the roster. Tell me the last vacation spot they went to. Hmm. Probably won't know it. Yeah. That's, that's a bit of an unfair question, but it's not unfair in the sense of these are the kind of things you always can get to know someone and help connect with them on a personal basis. And if you ask questions about Michael and Brad's folks on their team, that will challenge them. I had another situation where, you know, a leader just said, look, Go and find out something about your team that I don't know, that you don't know. Just come back and tell me something new. Just, just challenge them. The second is to overcome what Pat calls irrelevance, where you're trying to connect people to the purpose and the vision and the values of the organization. And so one way to do that is, so we'll go ahead and just state your purpose statement for Sergeant Metal. That'll help everybody have some context. Yeah, so our purpose is we want our team members to thrive both personally and professionally and join us in helping our community. So you're saying our purpose is to join together to help our community. It's, and yet how often out of 52 weeks a year do leaders miss the opportunity just to say, hey, are you doing that? Mm -hmm. What have you done recently to help our community? If we go straight into, let's bring out the PL, let's bring out the budget, what's the tax for things? And we don't even mention that there is a bigger impact we're trying to have by existing in our community. And that's a simple question. And that's a simple thing to expect Brad and Michael to do in the sense that challenging them, hey, how are you translating our purpose to the people that work for you? Yeah, that, that's good. Helping them see that. That's hard. It's really hard work. And it's not on someone's job description. So thinking, this is why I. I need to read the motive because I don't like doing this a lot of time, but it taken to, and that taps our brain. The last is expectations and to communicate really clearly your expectations. And you and I've talked about this. You and I are both from Southern places. I'm from Texas. I live in Arkansas. You're in South Carolina, but we both have, um, they call it, you know, being a, being nice, artificial harmony, and I challenged you recently in a meeting where we're using the word we. 
Like, you know, what, what, what are we going to do about this? Versus as leaders saying, I need to tell you what I expect and be really clear. I'm guessing with Davos, Sweeney and Riley, I just wonder, is it going to be like, hey, this is your offense, run it. Or he's going to say, look, here's what I expect from you. And if you get this done in this amount of time and these are the results we're getting, then I'm going to be really pleased. And if we do this, I'm going to be really upset. And if we're in the middle, I'll be somewhere in between. And I remember that an offsite even more recent when I just said, Tim, what are the goals? And I, I want the numbers. I want the exact, when will you be thrilled? When will you be satisfied? When will you be disappointed? Why is it so hard for leaders to communicate their expectations directly when they manage people? That's a good question. I paused a minute, Gord, because I'm sitting here thinking. Yeah. Um, you know, honestly, sometimes the leader may not know exactly what they want their goals to be. Yeah, they may be unclear themselves. You know, and I think that if they're unclear, I think, and I think that, and the whole thing about organizational health is clarity. You know, yeah. and I, th I think also it's important. And you know, what I learned is is you, we've got to be transparent. We've got to be vulnerable. And you've got to know that if you've got goals, hey, Gordon, an example, today for lunch, Brad, Michael, and I had a strategic meeting about, um, I, had, I, had a, I had questions about facilities and some mm -hmm. things we need to do with, with our facility. We right. know what I did. Uh, I'm a goal setter. You got my goals. Yeah. January's on, uh, you know, when we're recording this, uh, it's uh, the end of January. Mm -hmm. So I don't, it, it may be a month or two for the listeners here. So, but my January goals, I went and read every one of them to him then for the second time, both okay. business and personal. Okay. So they know. So I think that transparency is very important. But for a lot of leaders, Gordon, that's hard. It is hard. That's hard. To, it's hard to show that transparency and vulnerability. It is. It seems it seems tedious. Or, you know, when you're that vulnerable, like when I asked you, what would make you upset? And is it OK for a leader to be upset, mad, disappointed, frustrated? Yes. And guess what? We do get that. And leaders are often indirect when it comes to communicating that instead of just being really clear with their team and saying, hey, this is what I expect. And if you miss it, I'm going to be upset because I should be upset and I'm going to help you. And, you know, as we go through this, you know, connecting with them personally, connecting them to the purpose and the values, clearly communicating expectations. They don't take a lot of time, but they do take being proactive. And what I find is when people walk into a meeting, and here's how you know if you're managing someone versus they're managing themselves. When, when leaders walk into a meeting and they're like, hey, how you doing? Anything I can help you with? They're not managing them. The person's just managing themselves. Mm -hmm. But when a manager walks into a meeting, and it could be 15 minutes, and says, hey, Tim, I'm so glad we're talking. Here's a couple things I wanted to remind you about, a couple things I wanted to talk to you about, a couple things I wanted to ask you, and I've been thinking about this. And it didn't take long to prepare, but I was ready. Then I'm managing and, and, and pushing them. Uh, you know, I, I hate to do it, but I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to pick a, a really random biblical example. You know, Jesus sends out the, the disciples two by two, right? To go out and he gives them all this instruction, tells them specific. And they come back and they say, hey, here's the report of what's going on. And he realizes that they're, they're off track mentally. And he goes, hey, don't, don't be excited that you got all these results. Be excited that your name is written in the book of life. And it's this reframe. And like Jesus is always one, two, five, 12, 100 steps ahead of us. Mm -hmm. And I think that's what is great management. When you're a couple of steps ahead and you're being proactive, 
and you're thinking to yourself, because I'm managing this person, they're going to be better today. I'm not bragging. I'm not taking credit, but I certainly don't want them to say, hey, I'm better, but it's not because of him, right? Mm -hmm. That wouldn't be good either. You wouldn't want people to say, yeah, I grew as far as metal, but it wasn't because of Tim. It was because I just pulled myself up on my bootstrap. So that's the opportunity. That's why it's exhausting. I mean, as we just enumerate these things, I'm feeling the exhaustion myself just because it's hard. It's hard work. Doesn't like take a lot of time. Does take a lot of courage. Yeah, and I think that, uh, you know, for leaders, and I, I think um, I heard this um, about a week ago, is that we leaders, and even if you're a manager, we need to develop margin. Yeah. Yes. Because if you don't have margin, margin creates opportunity. And like one thing that that I do is that, you know, when I have a one on one meeting with my direct reports, Gordon, I prepare for that ahead of time. That's right. If you know, margin, and if you don't have margin, you can't do that. And one thing that we're working on with, you know, with our team, even Gordon is, you know, is is developing margin because it's very yeah. important. You know, with the growth that we have experienced and continue to. It's important that we have margin to where, you know, if you're a leader and manager, if you don't have margin, you can't dream or think or plan. How can I make current state better? You know? And if you don't have margin, you're not available to your people when they need you. And, and that's the, that's the other difference between managing. So instead of managing and leading, let's, let's differentiate between managing and doing a lot of people as leaders want to be doing something. They want to be doing the parts of the business they enjoy. And guess what? They're not free to manage. I, my favorite metaphor for management is just think about a hospital. You have a brain surgeon who's doing what? They're in brain surgery. You have the, you know, you have the, the, the department head who's not in brain surgery because they're managing 10 brain surgeons. And then you have the hospital administrators thinking about the next campus they're going to purchase 50 miles up the road and how they're going to pay for it and how they're going to create a system for tens of thousands of employees. Those are three different things, but I think a lot of leaders are so talented. They grew up in one area of the business. They like to do brain surgery. They like to be doing something and when they and getting their hands dirty. And when they're doing that, they're not watching out for the other people that are performing those same things. Mm -hmm. it, it takes a lot of margin. It takes a lot of forethought. So it's exhausting. It, it is exhausting. I mean, and, and we talked about this in the last podcast, Gordon, but um, leadership is a burden, yeah. not a privilege. Not a privilege. Yeah. And, yeah. and I think that, and I think, you know, it is exhausting when you're thinking and planning and, you know, but, but again, I would challenge you, if, you know, if you're a listener and you're, you know, you're leaning into org health, figure out how to develop some margin first for yourself right. and then for your team, because you want, you right. got to be able to lead and manage the team well. And right. then how do you, how do you develop that for your, um, you know, for your managers? Yeah, that's good. Well, we probably gave everybody that's listening maybe too much to think about, but hopefully that at least provokes you. Write down the, net, the list of the people that you manage and ask this question. In the last 12 months, are they better at their job? Are they better people because of you? If the, if the honest answer is no, you got a great opportunity. If it's yes, that's great. And you might even have the courage to ask them. So between now and the next time, uh, next time we'll take part three of the motive. Uh, we want to just thank everybody for listening and say God bless. 
If you would like to continue the journey with us, please subscribe and leave us a review to let us know how we're doing. If there are any specific topics you would like to hear, be sure to put that in the comments as well. We will be launching a new podcast on the first Wednesday of every month. If you know others that will get benefit from listening to this podcast, please share it with them and we'll be seeing you guys next month.